0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the show. I'm Rachel, and today I'm answering a bunch of questions that came into the hotline. I did an episode a few weeks back about hotline answers, and I got so many new ones that I felt like were really good. And today we're going to dig into what do you do if you're partners, parents do not like you? How do you know the difference between the fear that you feel as a mother? Like, is that intuition or is that anxiety? What if you are a drama queen? What do you do if you're a drama queen and you feel like it's tied to insecurity? We're talking about all the things today. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I am gearing up for a pretty big thing in my life. I'm leaving tomorrow to fly to Vancouver, and then I'm going to drive from Vancouver to Whistler, which if you are not familiar, is a pretty famous uh, mountain to ski on in Western Canada, and I will be taking on the Everest Challenge for the second time in my life. Back in 2019, I tried this crazy challenge where essentially you climb a mountain, but you climb like a small mountain, over and over and over, and if you climb it enough times, in 36 hours, you have climbed the equivalent of Everest. So back in 2019, I did this in Utah. And I climbed at a place called Snow Basin. So we had to climb that mountain 13 times. You, you hike up it, and then you take the gondola down. You hike up it, you take the gondola down. And it, 100%, it's like childbirth. Like when I went through it the last time, I was like, I will never do this again. And yet here I am, <laughs> three years later, attempting it again. I wanted to try it because, one, it's a new mountain. So Whistler is a higher elevation from the base and also a higher elevation to climb. So this time it's only eight times to the top. But you have to complete those eight ascents in 36 hours. So essentially you just kind of hike nonstop. And I wanted to try it because it's different – environment. So when I did it before it was hot and this time it's cold. They had this event last weekend at the same space and it snowed, it rained, it hailed, people were hiking through mud. Like it just seems like a really insane physical challenge. I just told someone this morning, one of my favorite things in life is doing a physical challenge where I think I might die, but then I don't. I'm excited. I leave tomorrow. I got my stuff packed. I got my hiking poles. I haven't done something like this in a while. I'm feeling excited. I feel a bit nervous. Taking on a physical challenge like this right before going on tour is pretty, it's pretty ballsy. I'm not going to lie, but I think it's going to be great. I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you've ever done some kind of physical challenge for yourself, whether that's a bike ride, a 5K, 10K, half marathon, maybe you've done a Tough Mudder or Spartan race. For me, I learn the most about myself in those really intense, hard moments where it's literally just you, your body, and God. That's, that's it. Nobody else can help you finish a marathon. Nobody else can help you complete your portion of the team relay for Ironman. Like whatever it is you challenge yourself to do, it's you. And I think that's really powerful. I think especially for women, especially for mamas who sometimes get into our heads that we only really exist as this creature who helps keep other creatures going (laughs) I feel like it's really important to reconnect with who you are and how strong you are. So yeah, I leave for that tomorrow and I'm really excited. But I thought it would be fun to tackle some of these questions I got from y'all before we jump in to climb in a snowy mountain in Canada. Also just Canada, because I know you're listening. I know I got some Canadians up in this mix. Can I just tell you that the weather in Vancouver and Whistler has been in the 70s all week. And then this weekend when I'm going to climb your mountain, it's in the high is 50. So I just want to thank you for that. I know you can't control it, but it feels a little rude. You're supposed to be the nicest country and your weather feels a bit rude. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Let's jump into questions. We'll start right here at
1: the top with this one. Hello, Rachel. My name is Amanda, and I have a question about basically what to do while you are waiting for the universe's timing to unfold itself. I am 39. I'm almost and I feel like just kind of professionally, I'm a little bit behind in terms of like relationships. I am in a wonderful relationship now. And my boyfriend and I, have you know, we're living together. We've been together for a year, but, you know, I have a biological clock and I don't want to, but I also don't want to say like, okay, babe, we, all right, we met, we love each other. We live together time to put a ring on my finger, time to start popping out babies. Like I don't want to make big life choices based on a biological clock. I get into those in-between times where the anxiety kicks in and I just get really, really impatient. I want to have a great career. Like I'm actually going back to school. Um, I'm getting my MBA. You know, I'm 39. I, yeah, maybe it's different for women. And I just feel like in such a short amount of time I have to figure out you know, I have to get the MBA, I've got to get the great career, I've got to get married, and I've got to have kids. And I feel like I have such a small window of time to do that. In And I and again, like I always go back to the, you know, I'm living in the gain. And I always go back to, you know, universe timing is perfect. Universe has had your back literally for the past 39 years. And so just be patient. But in those times when the impatience and the anxiety kicks in, You know, what, what do I do? How can I kind of put that at bay and go back to the belief in the acceptance of just being patient that the universe is working everything out. So if you have any tips or tricks or words of wisdom for something like that, that would be um, very, very appreciated. And I thank you for your time and I hope you have a good day. Thanks.
0: Amanda, Amanda, I love this question, which is why I included it, because the first thing I want you to hear is that you are not alone. There are Millions of women who feel like you feel. There are millions of women who are struggling with feeling like they're not where they should be. And I really want to start with this question because Amanda said again and again, she feels like she's behind. So my question for you, Amanda, is behind who? Behind what? Behind a social archetype made up by somebody else. Y'all, life is long. Back in the spring, I flew to LA because it was one of my best friends, Rosie. It was her birthday. And I was sitting there in our friend group and we're all there with our partners and we're having a great dinner. And we always take a moment to go around and sort of say something about the birthday person, the birthday girl, the birthday boy, whoever we're celebrating, we always traditionally will make toasts. And one of the things that I talked about that night was a reminder to Rosie, but also a reminder to each and every one of us at the table that life is long. We get in our head that we have to be somewhere else, that we should be further along, that we need to have kids, that we need to have the career. And what I've learned is there's no rush. Really, like it says in the Bible, or the bird song, to everything there is a season. And now I and now I have to check that it's a bird song and not a Beatles song. Wow. It's not Beatles. Wait. Oh, it is the birds. To everything there is a season. I know it's originally a scripture, but that song is so real. There are seasons that feel very slow. A season where you're struggling to take care of multiple kids, you've got little toddlers, you've got a lot going on, feels slow. That senior year in college when you're so ready for everything to be over and you just want to be done with study, that can feel slow. And then there are seasons that are really exciting that feel like they're going a million miles an hour. When you meet the love of your life or when you move to a new city, start a new job, those seasons tend to go by very fast. But we get in our head that these made-up numbers that we should have things achieved by a certain time, and all it does is give us anxiety in this moment. If you're thinking about being further along, you're not present. You're not present in this moment. You're not present in this body. You're not present in your gratitude. And you said it over and over. You said the universe has had your back for 39 years, and you can look back in your life and see that perfect timing was revealed again and again and again. So if that's true, then there's no reason to hold anxiety about this current moment. You're making something up. Also, guys, I want you to look it up. Just do me a favor and look up. I promise I'm not going to get on a soapbox right now, but I want you to look up where the original idea comes from of women and our fertility cycle. So you were like, you know, my biological clock is ticking. Just for funsies, look up where that data comes from. You don't need to look it up. I'll tell you. It comes from a study in the 1700s based on a small section of French women. Swear on my life. The widely cited statistic that one in three women ages 35 to 39 will not be pregnant after a year of trying is based on an article published in 2004 in the Journal of Human Reproduction. Rarely mentioned is that the source of this data are French birth records from 1670 to 1830. The chance of remaining childless, 30%, was also calculated based on historical populations. In other words, millions of women are being told when to get pregnant based on statistics from a time before electricity, antibiotics, or fertility treatment. Most people assume these numbers are based on large, well-conducted studies of modern women, but they are not. Y'all, y'all, that's from an article in The Atlantic. So just as a quick side note, If we buy into something as a society, it becomes our truth. And if you believe it to be true, your body will follow suit. We have been told in this article, it references something since 2004, that we had a limited window of time that we had to get pregnant by. And if we didn't get pregnant by then, our chances would diminish by a ton. But that's based on really old, not adequate data, and we're accepting it as true. So what else in your life right now are you accepting as truth because it's something you heard? It is a social construct that you need to, like you said, Amanda, that you need to be married, that you need to have a baby, that you need to have a great career by a certain age. Frankly, it's a social construct that you need any of those things at all, age notwithstanding. So if you can remove the pressure of needing to have something and needing to have it by a certain date, I hope that it will allow you to feel some more space and some more freedom. This, honestly, I think is one of the reasons that I have had the success in my career and that I will continue to have the success in my career and that you'll see stuff from me that I'm not trying to be a douchebag. You're going to see content come from me. You're going to see creations from me that you're like, holy crap, look at what Rach is doing. But that might not happen for 10 more years, or maybe it'll happen in six months. I don't know. All I do is lock on to the vision that I have for my life or the vision that I have for my goals or my dreams, and I stay laser focused on what I want to create for my life and my family and myself and my relationship and my team, I say laser focus on what. I don't focus on how and I don't focus on when. And if you're not focusing on when, it opens up so many possibilities. You aren't trying to control every single part of it. You aren't trying to force something to happen. You aren't saying, this is the road I must take to get to my dream life. You're just like, I just really want a dream life that feels like this. But hey, universe, hey, God, I'm open to how that shows up. So when that anxiety hits you, I hope that you can come back to this idea that these are not your truths. Amanda, these are truths that society tried to give you, and they don't hold any sway on what you're doing now. If you were born in a different time period, you wouldn't even be allowed to go back to school and get your MBA. There were social constructs that existed even 50 years ago that wouldn't have been normal for you as a woman that definitely wouldn't have been normal 100 years ago or 150 years ago. So if we can understand that there are social constructs that we let go of because they no longer matter, what if this is one of them? In fact, I am positive that this is one of them. I am positive that 20 years from now, you could talk to someone who's younger than you, right? You'll be 60 and you'll be talking to someone who's 22 and you'll be trying to explain to them, that there was a time period where people told women that they had to do things by a certain day or life was gonna pass them by. And that 22-year-old will laugh because they'll be like, what are you talking about? Because it's so much freer, it's so much more open, it's so much more fluid in the future than it is today. So if we know it's going that direction, just release it now. Your reality is not actually real. Your reality is 100% based on what you believe and what you accept as truth. So when your mind tries to tell you that you're behind, call bullshit. You are behind no one. You are exactly where you are supposed to be in this moment. And there is power in you standing in this moment. There is power in you devoting time to going back to school, to getting your education, to bettering yourself. If you try and do that, and force a marriage, and make sure that you have your biological clock and the baby. And If you try and do all those things at once, none of them is going to go well, and there will be no joy in the process. You have chosen in this season to devote time to this new relationship. Y'all are living together. That is so special. That is so fun. Don't force it. Don't make it go faster. Enjoy the relationship for what it is today and focus on yourself. This is a season of growth and learning for you. That is what matters most. And when it's the right time to start a family, you'll know it. But don't rush to that place based on what someone else thinks you
2: should do. All right.
0: That was Amanda. Now let's see this one, what this
2: one says. Hey, Rachel. This is Allie. I just finished listening to your podcast with Gay Hendricks on The Big Leap. And first of all, thank you. I read that book a really long time ago, and it was a great reminder. I need to pick it up again. But it occurred to me as you were talking and having a conversation and you were talking about anxiety and how your anxiety didn't show its face until you had children. I've you know, had anxiety pretty much my whole life, but it definitely amplified when I had my first child. And so I was wondering, how do you decipher between fear, like unrealistic fear, self-sabotage fear versus your instinct as a mom, as a woman. Not necessarily fear is around raising children, but, you know, we're always taught as women to listen to our gut instinct and, you know, our intuition. But when fear is playing a role and self-sabotage is playing a role, how do you differentiate between what's true fear and what we should actually be listening to versus unrealistic fear? Does that make sense? (sighs) I hope so. Thank you so much for your time and for all you do. I hope you have an awesome day.
0: Allie, thank you so much for this question. Uh, The episode that Allie's talking about, if you guys want to listen in, is a conversation I had with Gay Hendricks, who is just a wealth of information and wisdom. That's episode 319, and it's all about overcoming self-sabotage by understanding why we self-sabotage in the first place. But for Allie's question, it's one I've gotten a lot. Women are feeling very disconnected from self. We're feeling very disconnected from our intuition and that woman's instinct or in this case that mother's instinct. And how do I know the difference between what's my head and what's my gut? And one of the best pieces of advice I have heard on this subject is when it's your intuition, number one, it's your first thought. It's not something that we debate or that we get a bunch of ideas swirling in our mind. That is anxiety. But when you focus on a particular person, a situation, when you ask a question, you get quiet, you ask a question of yourself, and you really focus in on your heart and your, your spirit that still small voice inside of you, when you ask a question, it's the first thing that comes to your mind. And when it is true, when it's intuition, you will feel your body relax. When it's something you're not sure of, when it's fear-based, when it's anxiety, you'll feel your body tense up, right? Your shoulders come up closer to your ears, you feel your muscles tense. When it's true, even if it's a hard truth, You feel something in you settle. When it comes to anxieties that we feel about our children or ourselves as parents or any of that, I don't know what a spiritual advisor would say, but as your friend, I would tell you that I, I don't know, my instinct with the kids feels different than sort of just ideas or worries. They feel different in my body. So that's why I really wanna encourage you to pay attention to how things feel for you. This is true for all of us, even those of you who are not parents. Pay attention to how different thoughts and different sensations make you feel. The way I guess I would describe it, Allie, is that anxiety and worries kind of are in the upper part of my body. Like they register sort of in my chest and my head. And intuition hits me in the gut. And intuition is often just like, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea for this child. Or "Mm, that's a really important thing that I need to listen to for that one. Or there's something about this situation that doesn't make me feel good. And when it comes to our kids' safety, I think just always leaning on the side of what is going to keep them most safe. So for example, my second son, my 14-year-old is an incredible athlete, the biggest part of his life. He loves sports. He loves to be on a team. And he has asked me since he was old enough to understand if he could play tackle football. And every single year, that he would ask if he could play tackle football. Y'all have to remember we live in Austin where football is a freaking religion. Every single year, I it just felt wrong in my gut. Our heads are so important and I was so nervous about him getting a concussion and I know the effects of that and I just didn't feel safe. And for the longest time, you know, we tried flag football, but of course that didn't feel as cool cuz all his friends are playing tackle and I said no every year, and I was so unpopular because it was always that thing like, mom won't let me play. Dad's fine with it, but mom won't let me play, and every year I just maintained. But I did promise him that I would always recheck with my gut. That was my promise to Sawyer, and he would roll his eyes, but I was like, you have my word that I will check in on this every season to see if it still feels like something that's not okay. And this was the first year that I still felt scared. And that was very much in the upper part of my body that was in my head. But in my gut, I was like, okay, I think it's okay. So this is the first year that he is playing tackle football. We had lots of conversations about what that would mean, about what he needed to do for safety, about what it would feel like if he ever had a concussion, how we would talk about it, how we would deal. I mean, I was still so over the top about it, but I'm trusting him to make safe choices. I'm trusting his coaches to make safe choices. And I'm trusting my intuition that he's gonna be okay. My sneaking suspicion, guys, also is that now that he's getting to play, he'll just get over it. (laughs) That's kind of what I'm thinking is that he'll be like, oh, okay, I did it. Like I sort of think the draw for him was just that he wasn't allowed to and that he played every other sport except football. So we'll see. But it was me keeping my word to him and me keeping that integrity with myself that I would check in. And I trust that he's protected and that he'll be okay. And yeah, that's the best I can do. That's the best any of us can do. Anxiety tends to be upper body for me. Intuition tends to be in my gut. Maybe that will feel different for you. But pay attention to how your body feels and feel empowered to lean into that. You don't even have to explain to people why. These are your kids. You're raising these babies. You get to decide. I didn't let any of my kids have slumber parties or sleepovers anywhere for the longest time until they were old enough. I still haven't let my younger kids, but for the older kids, until they were old enough to have had many conversations with me to be able to vocally say what they wanted, where they felt safe, where they didn't feel safe, until I could trust that they had some ownership of themselves in that situation. I didn't want them in other people's houses, and that includes family members. And I remember, oh my gosh, this was a huge argument with my ex because he was just like, "This is crazy! Like these are," and I was like, "I get it. I just—it's my thing until they're old enough. I just—sorry. I'm not even talking about extreme situations where something really." traumatic happens. I also don't want my kids in houses where they're hearing things that don't align with our family values. They're seeing things that don't align with our family values. I don't want that. And these are my babies and I only get 18 years with them living under my roof where I get to control choices. Those also happen to be the most vulnerable years for them. So I'm going to stick with my tuition even if other people don't get it. All right, let's see. Next question. Man, this one's a hard one. This is a really hard one because I just feel for you. This feels super unfair. It feels so disappointing. And unfortunately, I think it's more common than you would believe. I think it's really common for our partner's family to not accept us, to maybe not like us, to maybe be disrespectful or not have anything to do. There's sort of all different things along the spectrum. This happens a lot because maybe we have a different religion than the person that we're dating. We have a different cultural background or because the parents had an ideology about the exact perfect person for their child and you're not living up to that expectation. And there's so many things that go into this. But what I want you to understand is that none of this has anything to do with you. It is extremely difficult to not take this personally, but it really has nothing to do with you. So what I actually wonder is, is this guy that you're dating, like how does he act about it? How is he? Because that is the only thing that matters. He can't help the family that he was born into, and he can't help... How they react, right? Because they're grown adults or whatever. But my question is Is he supporting the way that they're acting? Is he demanding that they treat you better? Is like, what's the deal there? And I don't know the context of your situation. So let me just tell you having been in a relationship where there was a lot of disapproval from my partner's family and feeling like Sometimes that was challenged, but most of the time that was sort of like in that particular family, we don't talk about how we're feeling, we don't ruffle feathers, we don't, it's kind of like don't ask, don't tell, let's pretend that everything's okay. And we don't actually say when things are inappropriate or we don't challenge sort of the head of the family. And I get that there's so much past and emotions and feelings that go into our relationship with our parents. So that's a huge undertaking for someone to stand up to them, to deny, to kind of step out of the spotlight of your parents' glow because you're doing something that they disapprove of. It's a lot. But it's worth asking how he's acting. Because what I can tell you for sure is that how he's acting now is how he will act forever. I know I'm supposed to say that like people actively change and they do. No, not in my experience in this situation. Unless you're like, no, he is actively going to therapy. He's unpacking that generational cycle. He's doing all of these things. He's learning to stand up. Okay, awesome then you probably don't even need to be having this conversation with me. But my instinct is if you're feeling stuck and it's feeling hard, it has as much to do with the way he's behaving as the way they're behaving. Like I can't even imagine, why do you know that they would rather he's with the ex-girlfriend? That's what's tripping me out. Because my thing is in the past, when I would hear about disapproval from the family, I was hearing about it from one person, and that would come at me from a place of like concern, but in retrospect, it feels like it wasn't concern. It feels like it was trying to control a little bit. Like, well, this is – and this is like passive-aggressive 101, right? Well, it's not the way I'm feeling, but they're feeling like you're not spending enough time with the kids if you're working full-time right? They feel like if you're building this company, they feel like if you're going on a book tour, it's not me. It's them. But I just want you to know that this is how they feel and also that I'm the one who has to put up with the way that they're feeling. At the time, I was sort of not even sort of, I was completely crushed by that because I was a people pleaser and I wanted everybody to love me and I wanted everybody to approve of me. And so I just thought I'll work harder. Or these things that they don't like about me, I'll hide them. They'll never know that I work this hard. I'll get up at four o'clock in the morning. I'll get up at five o'clock in the morning. I'll do these things and nobody will know. But my true self, like she kept peeking out. And when she would peek out, it was like, A puppy, like hitting a puppy on the nose with a rolled up newspaper, like I'd think that everything was okay and then I'd be knocked sideways by someone telling me that they didn't like how I was showing up, right? And so I guess I would just say to be careful because if you are dealing with the family directly and the family is directly telling you that they disapprove, that's jacked. That is not appropriate. You need a boundary there. There is no reason why you should have to interact with people who are being disrespectful to you. Guys, this is true not just of your partner's family. This is true of your own family. You are not required to go into situations where people are disrespecting you. Period. Put a boundary up. It is not your job to be someone else's doormat. I don't care who they are. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's freaking Christmas Day. And man, we always go over to grandma's house on Christmas Day. But it turns out that grandma's a racist piece of shit and you don't want to hear the things that she's saying and you don't want your kids to hear the things that she's saying because that's not your value. You don't go to grandma's house. I just feel like we are trained to be good girls. We're trained to be good boys. We're trained to make sure that everybody likes us. And it turns out that sometimes for other people to like us, and I'm using air quotes, we have to make ourselves as small as possible. We have to let ourselves be abused. And it's not okay. And you shouldn't want to be with someone who thinks that that's okay. I—I I, Literally, I don't know why you would be hearing about some girl that he dated a long time ago. That's totally inappropriate. Like it's being used against you. And I would guess it's being used to manipulate you. Well, oh, well, this is how Beth acted. You know, Heather would have never done that. Oh, we just loved so-and-so because she did this, this, and this. It's grooming you and telling you how you're supposed to behave. And guess what? You're never going to measure up because you're being compared to a ghost. You're being compared to a figment of their imagination. If they love that girl so much, why don't they go date her? No, this situation is jacked up. The only thing that matters is how he is responding. And if he's not standing up for you now, I have a really hard time believing that he's going to stand up for you in the future because mommy and daddy issues run deep. And if he's still got them, he either needs to actively be working on them or you need to seriously question what it would look like to build a life with this man. Because by the way... If And I guarantee that everybody who has in-laws who are like this is like nodding with me right now. If you think that it'll get better when you get married, if you think it'll get better when you have a kid, no, it will never get better. It will never change because this is a broken piece of their family structure. Unless the family structure heals, this thing will never get better. So if you can look at it and say, you know, well, his mom's in therapy, his dad's in th- there, all working on their stuff, and I do feel like we're making progress, there's some hope there. But my guess is that if you're calling into hotline, it's because you know in your heart of hearts that something's not right here. Yeah. I, I went through a really, I have a very specific moment in my history where my got everything in me. It was right before I got married. Something happened that was so insane that I remember sitting in my car holding the steering wheel and I was like, "Oh, I don't know if I can marry into this." And I don't regret any choice because I would not have my children. I wouldn't have had this life. I wouldn't I wouldn't be who I am. It all happened as it was supposed to. But I will tell you that my Spirit knew for a fact that this piece was bad and it would not get better. And it wasn't for lack of trying, man. I thought if I could tap dance enough, if I could look the right way, if I could wear the right clothes, if I could act the right way, if I could do any of it, that then, but it just, some people just have an idea and you're not it. And that means this is not the right crew for you. Obviously, I'm just a stranger over here on the internet, so you do not have to take my advice. But if you were my friend, that's what I would tell you is true. All right, we've got one more, guys. We're just running through all the things.
2: Hey, Rachel. I was just calling because I listened to your podcast about if you're insecure, and I really resonated with the one that talked about being dramatic. And I was wondering if maybe you could elaborate on that more. I was just super intrigued and thought it'd be interesting if you could map that out a little bit more. Thanks. Bye.
0: All right. So the episode that Stacy is referencing is episode 320. And it was called Six Signs You Might Be Insecure. Six Signs You Might Be Insecure. And The part of that episode that she's talking about is when I spoke on drama queens actually being insecure, that those people in your life who create chaos and drama are truly at their core, deeply insecure. And the whole episode was six signs that you might be insecure, but it was things that maybe haven't occurred to you before. And one of them was you're a drama queen. So she's curious about elaborating on that to a greater extent. And yeah, there's a couple things that I can speak to here, Stacy, about why a drama queen or why someone who creates chaos or why someone who loves drama, loves other people's drama, loves gossip, loves talking, loves stirring things up, at their core is insecure. So the first thing that I think of here is that being a drama queen – in however that manifests for you, is a way to get attention. Being a drama queen is a way to get attention. Even if you're talking about other people's drama, you are calling attention on yourself, right? We all know at least one person who sits down there they're like, oh my gosh, I have the tea. Let me tell you about so-and-so who did such and such. People gossip about strangers. like I I, I had a family member do this recently, call to tell me about someone in their office, about drama that had happened with someone in their office. And I'm like, I do not know this person you are talking about. And I hate drama. I do not want drama in my life. And if I, I didn't say this to her, but I'm like, if I sit here and absorb this story, number one, I'd feel icky. Like I... Whatever's going on with this woman, I don't know what it is. And so there could be a whole host and probably is a whole host of pain and hardship and things buried there that I don't understand. So if I take part in listening to this gossip session, I feel like I'm I'm, I'm getting entertained by someone else's pain. And that is not the vibration that I want to be at. Because I also believe that whatever we put out, we get back. So I feel like if I'm sitting here listening to someone's gossip, that there's a chance that other people are going to try and do the same to me, right? Like I want to make sure that I'm living my life in a way that even if nobody's looking at me, that my life has integrity, that I know in my heart that I'm living well. And so I'm not going to absorb someone else's drama. Also, I don't want drama in my life. So why would I signal to the universe that I'm interested in it by taking part in it? But we all know those people who love to gossip and love to talk about drama, especially when it's not their own. And you and I both know they are getting attention. They're holding court in that moment. They've got a whole story to tell. They've got one-liners. They've got inflection. They're like an actor giving a monologue. By the way, when this family member called me, I was like, I guarantee that she has called everyone else in our family. I'm like the bottom of the barrel. Because nobody calls me to talk about drama. I barely talk to this person. So for her to call me, I'm like, oh, you felt like this story was so good. You had to make sure that every single person you knew heard about it because it's getting you attention. And people who are insecure want attention. When you are insecure but feel like you should have other people's notice, that's when you'll create attention at any cost. That's when it's worth it to you to drum up some kind of energy so that eyes are looking at you, even if the energy is negative. It's why people will create chaos around them. They'll start a fight with their partner. They'll do something because at least then there's something going on and they're the center of it. So if you find yourself doing this, ask like, what am I really craving in this moment? Am I craving connection with this person? Am I craving some excitement Are there healthier ways that I could reach for this? Of course there are. They might not be as readily available, but if you start to teach yourself to grasp for a healthier way to get the same result, you're going to feel so much better. Remember that attention is how we learn that we are loved as little kids. And people learn to get attention in different ways. You know, if you're like me, you learn to achieve. If I could get an A on the test, if I could score a goal in the soccer game, that got me attention and then I felt loved. It's why I'm an Enneagram 3. It's why I work so hard. It's why I have to fight against hustle culture in my mind that tells me to keep going and going and going. That's how I got attention. I know someone else who got attention by always having problems, always being sick, always having something wrong. They have a sort of abrasive personality type. And so the counter to that abrasiveness was, oh, I want attention and love and hugs and cuddles, but I don't know how to get those in a healthy way. So I'll just always have problems that other people need to solve. Because if I'm sick, then I can get this thing that I need. Attention is how we learned to get love. But there are better ways for you to get attention. The other way that being a drama queen can be a sign of insecurity is you're using it to control the situation. You're feeling insecure or you're feeling uncertain about what's going on. And so you're trying to control the variables. Stirring up drama created by you or stirring up chaos created by you, at least it was created by you. You're in control. And you're in control of others, right? If you start a fight with your partner, now suddenly you're in control of his universe because you've wrapped him into a fight with you. The answer to this is a desire and an intention to be able to be content. Not the highest highs, not the lowest lows, just content. The beauty of an average day, that's what we're aiming for. As people, especially if you grew up in an environment that was volatile, It's very easy to accidentally replicate that in your adult life because you think that's normal. Some of the worst anxiety I can get is when everything's okay because something in the back of my mind is telling me, oh, it's about to go wrong again. So in the past, I have stirred up drama or created anxiety about situations that did not exist because at least that feeling was something I knew. I would self-sabotage feeling good because I didn't know how to feel good. So it's insecurity in the situation. It's a distrust that things will continue to be okay and that you will continue to be okay. And maybe there's a different reason for you in this. Maybe you have a different way that drama shows up in your life and that you can identify it as something that feels like some insecurity there. It's worth exploring. It's worth digging into because any time that we can overcome these little things that show up in our life, they really add up to big change. They really add up to exponential growth and feeling so much better. I appreciate each and every question that comes into hotline guys. It's so rad cuz you help shape the conversation we have here on the show. If you have a question for me, the number to the hotline is in show notes. Give us a call. You can do it anonymously. You can leave your information. You can leave your name, ask a question, and let us take a deep dive into the thing that you feel like would be helpful to us as a group. I also really want to encourage men to call into hotline. (laughs) I love women, and I'm here for them all day, but I'm becoming more and more aware that a lot of men listen to the show. You come up to me at coffee shops, you come up to me in elevators, those of you who listen with your partners who identify as male, like every, I'm I'm just getting a lot of love in that direction, which is so rad. But I feel like there's some trepidation that, you know, real men don't have questions or real men don't struggle with things. And it's just not true. And I think as a community, we'd love to know that there are brothers here who are supportive of this conversation, who are also working on their own hearts and their own beings. And I think that we are evolving. Women are evolving at such a rapid pace. We're coming into our ownness at such a rapid pace. And I think that the men in our lives are doing that as well. So if you're a man and you're listening to the show, or if you're a lady and you know that your fellow listens to the show with you, maybe he calls into hotline, but like i said the numbers in show notes i hope that you'll give it a go and i can turn your question into an episode coming up soon this is uh it's tour time guys if you're listening to this podcast it will actually go up when we are about to leave to go on tour and there's only seven more cities available. These are my only live shows of the year. So if you enjoy podcasts, I guarantee you are going to enjoy tour. Go to RachTalkLive.com to grab your ticket. You can see which city is close to you. Grab a group. Grab your friends. Grab your fella. Grab a sister. Grab somebody and come have a night where your heart is lit up where you find community, where you realign with your goals, whether that's for your business, for your personal life, for your relationship. I believe in dreamers. I believe that we are the ones who change the world. But in order to do that, you have to make sure that your cup gets filled back up. You can't just pour out on others. You've got to have someone pour back into you. Tour starts this weekend in Birmingham, Alabama, and Charleston, South Carolina, and we got more shows coming up subsequent weekends, but I hope you come hang out with us. I just know, I know there are people right now listening who are debating. They're like, should I? I don't know. And you're going to kick yourself. You're going to see us on Instagram. You're going to see everybody having a great time. You're going to see that connection. You're going to see that love and that thing in your heart that keeps telling you that this is for you, that intuition in your gut that's like, maybe I should go to this. You should come hang out with us. It's going to be awesome. All right, guys, I will be back soon. Actually, I'll be back later in the week with a report on my Everest challenge and how that worked out. But Until then, remember, I love you and I'm rooting for you.